Good morning, man. My name's Caleb. For y'all that don't know me, um, I've been here for about nine, ten years now, and taught on and off. And Curtis asked me if I'd give a message a while back, and so I put this message together. It's something that God gave me over the last couple of months, and it's actually got some notes in it from the last two years of stuff that He's just kind of showed me and put in front of me, and um with the messages that Audie taught and that um, Josh Bullard gave us last week about spiritual disciplines and some of the things we're going through, I really think this message fits with it. I think we're in a time and a season, guys, that God is really looking for men and women of God that are real. He wants men and women that are going to seek Him, that are going to really dig in and see what He's doing in the kingdom of God. And so this message kind of goes along with that. It kind of really goes with the spiritual disciplines and what I feel like God wants us to do and the places we're going to go. So if you all bow your heads, we'll say a quick prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, we just come to you this day, Lord. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together, Lord. And Father God, just seek you out, Father, and hear your word. So Father God, as we listen this morning, Father God, we pray that you speak clearly and boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is Forbidden Fruit. Now, I'm going to start with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat, of any tree, must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit. From the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. We all know the story, right? We've all heard it a thousand times. Adam and Eve are in the garden, got all these trees, but you cannot eat of the trees in the middle of the garden. But I want to back up a little bit and get a little background here. So y'all just bear with me. In Genesis 2, 4, 4 through 9 and 15, this is where we see Adam getting created and put in the garden to cultivate and keep it. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth, and when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth, watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted the garden in the east, in Eden, and there he had formed, there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden, were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then if we skip down to 15, it says the Lord took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So now we've got the creation, we've got the garden and everything in it. It says trees that were pleasing thy, but in the middle, again, we have these two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Then if we skip down to 16 and 17, this is where we see something important, man, and we need to start really paying attention here. This is where we see the first command from God to Adam of stewardship appointed to him in the garden. And it says, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
for when you do, you will certainly die. Now, the reason I say this is the first command, it says that God commanded him. But when I put the stewardship in here, I want you to think with me for a minute. What does stewardship look like? A lot of times we think stewardship is just simply taking what we have and being careful with it, right? But that also includes things that we're not supposed to do. And that's what he's telling him. You can do anything you want to cultivate and keep the garden, but do not do this. This is part of his stewardship. This was his warning to Adam. You cannot do this. So now let's go back into Genesis 3 and take a look at what we see. In chapter 3, men, this is where we first see the devil or the serpent use the most common, what I call the five gates used used to entrap people into taking a forbidden fruit and entering into some kind of sin. So in Genesis 3, says, now again, the serpent was most crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, or you must not touch it, or you will die. Now listen to what the serpent says to her. You will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So do you see what just happened here? He appealed to her senses to get her to see that the forbidden fruit that God said that she was not allowed to eat offered something she did not know, something that might satisfy one of her senses. And if you go back and look, it says the woman saw the fruit of the tree was then good and pleasing to the eye and was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate and gave it to her husband. So, men, this is where I'm going with this this morning. I want you to bear with me. I've got a lot in this, and it may go faster than I think, but the serpent used the senses to lure her into eating the fruit. So now let's take a look. They were put there to steward and keep the garden. They were told that they could eat anything in the garden. And even Scripture says all the trees were pleasing to the eye of Adam, but not to eat of these. So what happened when they ate of this? What happened when she took the forbidden fruit? Well, verse 7 says that their eyes were opened. If you read the scripture, it says as soon as they ate of the tree, that their eyes were opened and that they, they realized that they were naked. It brought something to them in their senses that they'd never seen or felt before. Then in verse 8, it says that they hid themselves from the Lord. They became ashamed of what they did, and they hid themselves from the Lord. Then after that, in the next verses, in the next deal we see, says, then we see God's judgment against them. What was the judgment that God put on them? Well, first, after she ate the fruit, we see that he cursed the serpent, first and foremost. But then he turns to Adam and Eve. And, of course, we've all heard this story also. 
With Eve, he says that you will pay, you will have much pain during childbearing. And then the man, he looked and he cursed the ground and he said, you will work it for food for the rest of your life. But this is really where I'm going this morning, man, and we really need to pay attention to this. If we get into verse 22 and 23, it says, The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life that was also in the middle of the garden and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken from. What we see here, men, when he banished them from the garden, from the tree of life, is separation from God for the first time in Scripture. For the disobedience for not stewarding what God had given them. Separation from God for being disobedient for not stewarding what God had given them. So why do I say all this, men? Because we walk in what God is, when we walk in what God has given us to steward and steward it well, we walk in all the freedom and God gives us in his kingdom. See, when Adam was in the garden, when Adam, when the Lord created the garden and he put Adam in it, it had everything he needed. And this is just amazing to me, man. God created the heavens and the earth. He said he saw that there was no one to work the ground so he created Adam then he created the garden with everything he needed put Adam in it and said take care of it cultivate and keep it everything you need is here you've got all the animals all the water all the food you need right here all you have to do is steward it that is it but when we go down then we see the fall of man Adam and Eve lost all of that freedom of everything they wanted to eat from, all the animals they wanted to live with, whatever they did, they lost that freedom as soon as they took the forbidden fruit. They lost all of that. But not only did they lose that, they lost close communion with God. Because up to this point, if you read Scripture, Adam walked with God daily in the garden. When you start reading Genesis and you start going through the account of Adam, every day God showed up and spoke to Adam and told him what to do. He gave him the animals and told him to name them. He explained the way everything worked. He did this daily, men. So this wasn't just a loss of resources. This wasn't just a loss of food. This was a separation from a daily close communion with God that they lost. Now, this is important, man, and this is really where I'm going with this, and this is why we need to pay attention. I understand we don't walk in the garden with God like that, but we can choose to walk with God daily. This is an option that we have in our lives. You know, and we think about this and we go, well, you know, it's hard for us to fathom walking out into a garden or just walking outside and God showing up. But think with me for a minute. What's one of the most common things that we do every day? We walk out and get in our car, right? It's just something that's there. So what happens if you got in trouble and lost your license and lost your car? 
it was that common for Adam and Eve just to walk out and find God. It's no different than it was for me and you to walk out the door and get in a car and drive off. It was that common of a practice. That's why this separation and banment from the garden was so big in Adam and Eve's life. It's because it was so common for them just to be able to walk out. Just like there's days I wish I could walk out that door and God would just show up. So the question to this is, men, can we still walk in all of the freedom and all of the dominion that God gives us in his kingdom? Is that possible? I believe it is. I believe that God has set up a system and created a kingdom that that is still possible on this earth today. But we have to pay attention to some things in our own lives, men. And these things in our lives that I'm talking about is the forbidden fruit. What I believe that God showed me is that the enemy uses the the forbidden fruit to appeal to our senses, which can start us down a path to sin and even a repetitive sin in our life if we're not careful. And when we start down these roads, we lose our freedoms in the kingdom and we even can end up separated from God, which is what full-blown sin is, is separation from God. So let's look at some examples of some things, men. What are some of these forbidden fruits? I've just put a few down here. First one I got is alcohol. Alcohol can be a forbidden fruit in our life. Is alcohol necessarily bad? No. Is getting drunk on it? Yes. Well, what does that look like? If you're somebody that can't have one beer because one turns into ten, it's a forbidden fruit. You should never eat it, right? Makes sense? Well, what does it disrupt? Well, it disrupts everything. It can disrupt your family. It can disrupt your finances. It can disrupt your job. These are the paths that it leads down, right? Pornography. This is another big forbidden fruit we hear about. Oh, just one look won't hurt. One look turns into two or three hours on a computer or two or three hours in a place that you don't need to be, right? It's a forbidden fruit. If you can't handle it, don't look at it. And it's it's the same correlation of what God said. You can do anything, but don't do this. And men, these are the fruits that we need to identify in our life. I've got some that aren't as severe that we don't even think about. Vehicles. And guys, I put this one in here for me because I'm a car guy. Jim says he is too. Why is that a forbidden fruit? Man, we like the latest, greatest. We like the hot rods. We like all the gadgets that go on them. But it can be a forbidden fruit in a guy's life. If he's got to have the latest, greatest every time it comes out, this can lead him down a path of financial destruction. It could cause problems in his marriage because he's spending too much money. There's all sorts of things like this out there. Another one's TV. Well, how can TV be bad? Honey, let me just sit here for 10 minutes and watch a little TV, and then I'll go do that. 10 minutes turns into an hour. Then it might turn into two hours. might turn into a whole afternoon. Well, what's such a bad thing about sitting, relaxing, watching TV? Didn't say it was, unless it's affecting your relationship with your family, your kids. Well, why do, why do you say that's bad, Caleb? Well, 
Because all of these things are things and ways that the enemy uses to get us to waste our time, our money, and resources given to us by God to steward and to separate us from him. God gives us these resources to steward on this earth for the time that we're here. And any time that we're taking the resources God has given us, just like Adam and Eve, and we're doing things that aren't supporting the kingdom of God, I believe it can. it's usually leading down a path of sin somewhere. So what, does the, so what about the forbidden fruit in our lives? What do we do with it, man? Of course, we need to identify it, right? We need to find out what it is. We need to figure out what that one thing is that might get us. Another example I put down that I didn't say just a second ago that God really showed me was what about if somebody that we call a so-called friend in our life? And you say, well, well, why would a friend necessarily be bad? Because I've seen too many times in my life where you got a guy that goes, man, I got this friend that I go hang out with and we sit and visit, but every time I come home, my wife says that all we do is fight. Well, if that's the case, you might want to examine what's going on with this friend because there could be some bad fruit there that you're picking up and eating and taking home that's causing a problem. So what do we do about it? Of course, like I said, we need to identify it. But the first thing that usually comes to our mind is repent, right? We need to repent. This is true. But I want you all to stay with me for a minute because this is where we're going to get real, and this is what I really feel God put this whole message together about. If we are born-again believers, the first thing we do to be saved by Christ is we repent. We repent of our ways. We realize that the path we were going down is wrong, and we realize that we need Christ in our life for our Savior. So we need to repent of our sins and come to Christ, right? We're born-again believers. That's our first thing we do. So if we believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead and we confess it with our mouth, we're saved, right? Y'all do understand that's an act of repentance right there. That is, that is repentance in Christ. So if we're there, if that was the only thing we had to do, we'd all be done, right? We wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation this morning. If all we had to do was confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life and repent right there, we wouldn't have to be in here. But the problem is, men, that's not the truth. Because the truth is we go through a process called sanctification. From the time we're a believer until it's our time or until Jesus comes back, we go through sanctification. So what does that mean? True repentance to overcome sin in our lives is no different than accepting our Savior. There is a mind change, but there also has to be a heart change as well. True repentance is not just about changing our mind, men. There has to be a heart change that goes along with it. This is why I truly believe Scripture says, confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. So what is the next logical step of repentance after we've accepted Jesus into our life in the process of sanctification with sin? Well, James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray so that each of you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. True repentance has to have a heart change in it. And men, this is what confession is. Confession is a heart change about the sin in your life and the way you're living and your willingness to give it to God. God's invitation to get rid of sin in your life is just like when he parted the sea for Moses. He parts the waters and allows us to walk to the other side freely. The wall of water represents the distractions around us in the world, but behind the wall is God's grace. And if you are willing to walk through the opening and humble your hearts and to confess to each other, he will close the waters and flood your sin with his love and grace. This is the message of the cross, man. This is the power of the cross, is walking through that pathway and allowing God to flood your life. But we have to be willing to confess, man. We have to be willing to say that out loud, just like accepting Jesus. It doesn't say just believe it in your heart. It says confess with your mouth and believe it in your heart. It's a two-part process, man. Bringing your sin into the light. We must confess to one another in order to bring it into the light. That is the purpose of confession. God moves when we are obedient to his word through faith. And when we are obedient to God's word, his grace is poured out. Be specific in your confession. Being specific and bringing it to the light is an act of full surrender of that sin and its power to the cross. When we are not specific, it is not only giving, it is not only giving just part of our old self to God and not all of it. Full surrender is what we're after, men. When we get specific in our confession, something God showed me here a while back, the thing about confession, man, and I really want you to hear me in this. There's only one gate in and one gate out. And what I mean by this, if you go up and you have something in your life that you need to confess, that you need to get rid of, you better call it what God calls it. One gate in, one gate out. That means if you have a problem with adultery and you're going up for confession, you have to call it what God calls it if you want him to deal with it. If you have a problem with drunkenness, you better call it what God calls it if you want him to deal with it. One of the best stories I ever heard was D.L. Moody preached a revival one time, and he had a lady come up afterwards, and he said, she said, Pastor, I'm glad you're here. I've been waiting for weeks to come see you, and man, I just really need some prayer for some stuff. And he's like, okay, well, how can I help you? She said, well, you see, I've just got this real problem with exaggerating stuff. And he said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I can't help you. She said, what do you mean you can't help me? He said, ma'am, I can't help you. I'm sorry. She said, well, no, 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 you're here. You're the pastor. I, I need you to pray for me. And he said, ma'am, I can't help you. She said, no, you don't understand. I just got this little problem exaggerating. He said, ma'am, stop. Here's the problem. I cannot help you because if you're not willing to call it what God calls it, which is lying, there's nothing I can do for you. You have to call it what God calls it. Because if you don't, you're denying the truth in your life. You have to go back out through the same gate that you went in. Do you all understand that? You've got to get specific about what you're wanting rid of. Because if not, you're hiding it in your heart and God knows it. 
So if you want to be set free from that, you better get specific about what it is that's in your life, that fruit that's holding you down. Whether it's adultery, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's gluttony, whether it's sloth, whatever it is. Be specific about it, men. Call it what it is and let God have it. You know, there's a song out there and the lyrics go like this. There's no shadow you won't light up. Man, these shadows are like the sins in our life. And God lights these shadows up in our lives so that we may confess and truly repent. So that in the end, through this process called sanctification, we are full of light and walking in the kingdom of God and all of the freedom and the dominion that God has given us. See, here's the thing, men. If the enemy can keep us sinning, feeling unworthy, we could f- we continue to feel indebted to Jesus and we keep coming back again and again asking forgiveness for the same thing. As a result, no true repentance takes place Instead, we just keep paying the debt. If the enemy can keep you in this cycle, he can render the blood of Jesus powerless in your life, making you ineffective in the kingdom of God. So men, this morning I would say we need to evaluate our gardens. God has given us a kingdom to operate in and all of the freedoms and dominions that go in it. But we also have a responsibility to cultivate, keep, and steward the things God's given us. And we better actually really sit down and look at our gardens and say, God, what fruit in my garden am I eating of that I don't need to be eating of? What area of my life do I need to bring before you? Because, men, we are in a time and a season in this world that God is looking for men and women that are true to his word and his kingdom and are willing to operate in it. He don't want lukewarm people anymore. We're coming into that season. So, man, I would challenge you this morning. There's questions on your table, but evaluate your gardens. And let's see what God has for you. Amen.